Good morning, Rock Creek. Um, the Old Testament reading is from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and have crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And the New Testament reading is from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these books, these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on the very and every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, and we are going to continue our service now by exploring primarily this passage from Matthew 4, um, this really famous and well-known temptation passage where Jesus is uh, in the wilderness and he is tempted or tested by Satan. Would you pray with me as we start? Heavenly Father, we know that we um, love to read your word and make it into what we want it to be. Um, we want it to, uh, to serve our own ends. Um, but Father, uh, you say you give us Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to, uh, to open the eyes of our hearts that we would understand rightly what you're telling us, who you are, what you've done for us, and how we may now live. And we ask that you would meet with us through your word even now. Change us as we come into contact with you. Amen. I love the, uh, the, the passage starts off um, that Jesus was brought into the wilderness and he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Matthew, the gospel writer, makes a very obvious statement. And he was hungry. I, uh, I think that's really important to our passage, and I think it's really important to us right now. This passage struck me as I read that um, earlier in the week that, uh, that, you know, by my count, today is day 37 
of social distancing uh, stricture or restrictions. Um, and I'm counting primarily from the day that the NCAA decided to cancel the March Madness basketball tournament. From then on, life has changed. Things are way different now. And uh, so on day 37, we're approaching 40 days of, of fasting, 40 days of not getting the things that we want. How is a man, me, to go about this whole adulting thing with no movie theaters? There's no movies to go watch. There's no popcorn to eat. There aren't even sports on the TV. It, uh, it, will, it is well said of me that after almost 40 days, I am hungry. And so what I want to do is, uh, is, is look at that as we are people who are hungry. Somebody uh, said earlier this week that, um, that things uh, that used to be just a two on the scale of one to 10 of annoyance. So you, you stub your toe, that's a two or a three. Right now, that's like a seven and a half. And you go like kicking tables over and stuff. It's just, things are, are just heightened. It's, it's, uh, it's more difficult, more crazy. Um, emotions are heightened. And uh, that's where we find Jesus in this passage that, uh, that he's, he's hungry at the end of 40 days All right, I'm hoping that fixed it. Somehow, the uh, more technical difficulties. Apparently, I'm too much of a man to use it, these little ear pods because then it picks up all this rough beard and, and messes up. So manliness has its, uh, its difficulties, and we're going to go with this one with te technical difficulties. So we're picking this up. Jesus, uh, the question that I want to ask is, how does Jesus deal with temptation when he's weak, when he's hungry? Um, and how is he tempted in that moment? How is he tempted and how does he deal with it? Uh, what I want to focus on is this third temptation. Uh, the first two temptations, uh, you know, we're going to actually kind of skip right through and move to this, this third temptation where Satan takes Jesus up onto a high mountain. He shows him all the splendor of the world's nations. And he says, all this I will give to you. You can rule and control all of this if you'll just bow down to me. Now, that seems almost reasonable in a moment when you think about the fact that Jesus is the rightful king. We just declared in our statement of faith that by him and through him all things were made, that he is the ruler, the rightful ruler of all that you could, that he could see, all this world. And, uh, and, and Satan is offering it to him. Look, you came to earth to set up a benevolent rule. Uh, how about we start that now? How about you forgo all this rejection by your own people? Even your own family thinks you're crazy. Like that's all coming in later in Matthew's gospel and in the other gospel accounts. Let's just skip all that and go right to the rule and you'd be good. You'll be kind. You'll be, you'll be great at this. You can do it. You got this. And that's the temptation that's laid out before him to actually take a shortcut to the end goal of Jesus ruling uh, and, and benevolently reigning over all the earth. So Jesus, uh, Satan offers a shortcut. Uh, 
J.R.R. Tolkien, a famous author uh, and writer of some of my favorite books, has a has a take on this passage, although he doesn't say it as such. It comes in um, towards towards the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, and as you know, uh, if you know this story, this this company of uh, this Fellowship of the Ring has to do away with the Ring of Power, the evil Ring of Power, and their job is to go and take a long journey and, and, and destroy this ring. But on their journey, they meet Galadriel, this uh, very powerful uh, woman. And, uh, and uh, the ring bearer, Frodo, is scared of his task. He doesn't want it. And so he offers this ring to Galadriel. He offers this power right now. You can have all this power. I'm giving it over to you because I don't want this, this path uh, that, that Frodo has to walk, this dangerous path. And Galadriel says this, she, um, she, she sees the ring, she, she knows he's offering it to him, this power, this dark power, and she says, in place of the dark Lord, you would set up a queen, and I shall not be dark, but beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night, fair as the sea and the sun and the snow upon the mountain, dreadful as the storm and the lightning, stronger than the foundations of the earth, all shall love me and despair. You see, that's Tolkien's take on what's happening in this moment, that Jesus, to take Satan's shortcut, would actually set himself up not as a, not as a benevolent ruler, but as a tyrant. Uh, that, that yes, he may be beautiful, but all would love him and despair that when power is gained in Satan's way, when the end of the journey comes with Satan's shortcut, it always cuts out what's most important. She says, all would love me and despair. All would be drawn to my beauty, but despair of my ultimate power over them. And you and I face similar shortcuts. We face similar temptations. There's always a shortcut. You may not become stronger than the foundations of the earth, and cause all people to, to despair. But the shortcut that Satan offers will always sabotage what you most want. The shortcut is always the easy way. So you want to be important. That's something that we, many of us long to, to make a real contribution in this world, to do something that matters, that really, really matters. And it's something that's deep within us. And Satan would offer a shortcut to you. He would offer a temptation to you. He would offer you the temptation to bow down to the idol of control. If you can control your coworkers, you can control your home and your friends, and you can, you can tighten everything down so that you can gain power over situations and people, then you can make a contribution. Then you can, can assert yourself onto the world and do the things that you want to, to accomplish in this world. All it will take is bowing down at the altar of control. But when you do that, when you take that shortcut, you cut out. You cut out love because no one will be loyal to you. They will only fear you. No one will actually know you because you can't let yourself be known. You can't let yourself appear weak. No one will actually care for you. And so the shortcut, the shortcut to achievement that Satan would offer cuts out relationship. 
You may say it's better to go the other way. I just want to, I just want to be loved. I just want to be known. I just want people to accept me. And you may bow and scrape at the altar of affection, always giving people what they want, always giving in to other people's demands and other people's expectations. And then, uh, and then you give and give and give. And sure, people may appreciate that, but you'll, you'll give over having any effect on the world. You'll give over the opportunity to actually really be known because when somebody says to you, I like you, what they're actually saying is, I like the mask that you wear, the mask where you meet all my expectations. It's not your true self in any way. And so you're actually sabotaging the very thing that you want because the affection that comes your way hits that mask and stops right there and doesn't penetrate to you. And so Satan's shortcut again to, to true love is to give over yourself and have uh, to, to never enter conflict, to bow at the altar of affection received and then actually never experience real love. The, the Satan's shortcut is always the easy way. It's like uh, Luke Skywalker's choice when he meets the emperor. And the emperor says to him, give in to your hate. And then you'll complete your journey to the dark side. Do you see how easy that is? Give in to your hate and then you can gain the power. Whereas the, the journey of the light side is, is study and discipline and practice and saying no to yourself at times to say yes to the greater good. The dark side is always easier, but it's always costly. There's always, uh, the, the bait is sweet, but there's always a hook hidden inside of it. But the true path to greatness, the true path has always required death. And every society from all of time has known this. And, and we tell stories about it that, that stretch back millennia. The hero has to die. That's why in every single Harry Potter book, Harry Potter, uh, you know, at the end of the book, he wakes up in the hospital wing because he has to go down into death in order to accomplish his purpose and to help his friends. That's why Luke Skywalker has to go all the way to and through the Death Star in order to save his friends. Even Jane Eyre, follows this path and in, in, uh, in the novel by that name. It's a common repeated story because it's supposed to remind us that the path to greatness always requires death. It always is going to require you to die to the things that you most want in order to gain something greater. And the hardest parts of life, here's where it gets tricky, that those stories have been told for generations and generations even going back to the Greek myths and, and, uh, and the older myths of older and more ancient societies. But they're always told because they are reminding me that in order to live the life that I most want, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to die to what seems best, to what seems easiest and nicest and most comfortable in that moment. So the hardest deaths are not going to the Death Star or, uh, or facing down Voldemort. The hardest deaths are the little ones that happen every day. Am I going to put my book down so I can help my kid tie their shoe? Am I going to do the dishes one more time when it's not my turn? 
Am I going to spend time praying for somebody that I don't even like very much? Will I forgive that person who lives with me one more time for the same offense again and again? Will I wait for my friend to change and be patient with the process of growth when it would be much easier to manipulate and control and, and, and gain power over them and force change out of fear? The path that we are called to walk, like Jesus, is not the path of shortcut to power. It's a path to death every day, little by little, and some of them great. Some of them take enormous courage. But Christianity, friends, Christianity is not, it's not a religion for heroes. It's not only for the Luke Skywalkers and the Harry Potters and the Jane Eyres and the people who can raise up, rise up above their station and above their culture and press out of, of the great oppressive forces. It's not only for those. Christianity is for the weak. It's for the people who, who decide to stay on the couch and not tie their kids' shoes. It's for the people who struggle so hard with forgiveness yet one more time. It's a, it's a religion for the weak. It's a salvation for those too cowardly to die, for you and for me. And it'll never be worth it for you or me to take that longer path, the path that leads through suffering and death in order to get to glory, in order to achieve our goal. It'll never be worth it unless you and I know that we were worth it to him. Because in this passage, in this passage in Matthew, we see uh, at the end of the passage, we see Jesus standing on a mountaintop and, uh, and being offered control over all the, the powers of the earth. But see, Matthew ends his gospel in the same way. Jesus standing on a mountaintop, declaring, all authority in heaven and on earth belong to me now. Do you know the only difference? In Satan's way, Jesus is all alone. He has control. He has dominion. But he's all there all alone. And in his heavenly Father's way, he's on the, he's on the mountain and he's in control, but he has his people with him. His disciples are with him. You see, God's way, his Father's way, took him through suffering and rejection and ultimately the cross. And that was worth it, that Jesus would end on this mountain with his people in control instead of on this mountain in control and all alone. You were worth it to him to go the path of the cross, to forgo the shortcut of Satan. He went all that way to the cross so that he could win you instead of own you. So that he, instead of being uh, a terrifying tyrant, he could be your benevolent king. So that he could move from saying that I don't call you servants or slaves, I call you friends. And when we see this, when we see the path that Jesus walked, for the sake of us, like we said in that confession, for our sake, he came and took on flesh. For our sake, he submitted to death on a cross. For our sake, 
he went the longer path. And it's only then that his, his resistance, his method of resisting makes sense in this passage. You see, uh, what's beautiful about the way Jesus encounters, he's hungry, he's starving, and Satan comes to him to tempt him in his moment of weakness. And the only tool that he uses are, are quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes very simple commands. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Worship the Lord only and serve him only. He has quippy, short commands and truths that he holds on to. Jesus doesn't take in his moment of temptation uh, the time to walk all the way through. Well, you see, what just happened was I was baptized in chapter 3, and God declared me his son that he loves. And so because I know I'm his son that he loves, being God's son means that I'm the king. Being loved means that he's walking with me and he's taking care of me all the way, all the way to his destiny for me. He doesn't actually go through all that because he's got that in the backlog. What he offers up front is immediate resistance through a strong command and a strong truth. And I want to encourage you, that is the way that we fight temptation. When you're sick to death of not getting to take your kids to the aquarium on a beautiful day, when you're sick to death of not being able to go out and meet your friends out for, for a meal or even a, or even a hike, when you're sick to death of all the limitations and Satan tempts you to take a shortcut, he tempts you to sacrifice relationships. He tempts you to, to, uh, to bow down at the altar of convenience, to bow at the altar of achievement, to bow at the altar of affection. When he tempts you, you need to have the quick response. You need to have this response like Jesus says. Worship God and him only. My response to temptation recently, my, my response, my temptations tend to be towards the form of gluttony. Lots of food, lots of giving in to pleasures and, and comforts. And, and my response has been, I am an image bearer of God. I'm too big. I'm too glorious to, do, to give in to that right now. And my family may say, when did you ever respond? When did you ever resist any of this? I'm just giving that as an example of, of the, the quick response that we need. Some, some small statement of truth from Scripture that helps us to resist temptation in our moment of weakness. And it only works. That, that statement only works if you know the whole backstory. If you know that Jesus went to the cross in order that he could stand on the mountain in control with you at his side, that he did all that. So then every command he gives can't just be arbitrary. They can't be silly. They can't be throwaway or optional. They are out of love. If he was willing to go to the cross for me, then anything he commands must be great and good and glorious, even if I don't understand it. So I want to encourage you, as you have chance in your weakness, to say no to temptation and to take the path of dying and giving yet again today. I want to encourage you to say no to the shortcut and yes to the path that Jesus walked ahead of you, the path of the cross the path that leads to life and new life, not only for you, but for those around you. Will you do that today? I hope you will. Amen.